Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Tuesday morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber with Jim Cramer, and we are live from Post 9 at the New York Stock Exchange. Carl has the morning off. We get started with trading 30 minutes from now, first trading day of the week, of course. But it is a Tuesday, don't forget. Uh, and you can see we're looking for a slightly lower open. Let's get to our roadmap this morning. It starts with the banks which we also started with on Friday. This time it's Goldman posting its worst miss of earnings in a decade. Morgan Stanley, though, notching record wealth management revenue, those stocks moving in opposite directions. We'll talk a bit about activism. Ryan Cohen takes a stake in Alibaba, pushed for an increase uh, in the stock buyback there. And crypto comeback, Bitcoin rallying 28%. That's just so far for the month. Let's begin, though, with the holiday shortened trading week and quarterly results from Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. And, Jim, I'm going to turn to you on this. Let's start with Goldman, which clearly does not appear to be a good quarter. I want to get your take. Well, look, you needed to have more M&A and corporate finance in order to offset some of the things that we saw. Wealth management disappointing expenses, not good. Uh, spending a lot of money, David, on consumer credit card, not being offset by anything that's involved with investment banking. So you also had some, uh, you know, they had a big balance sheet. They spent a lot of money, mm-hmm. and it just wasn't clear the return that they got on it. So uh, I would use the term disappointing straight out. Uh, I think that they're going to feel disappointed. It, it, it's not up to snuff of Goldman Sachs, and right. they didn't make nearly as much off of their equity. And I think you and I both know that's pretty much what you need to do. Non-comp expenses, I'm looking at a a quick report here from J.P. Morgan, a flash report after the earnings. Non-comp expenses up 13% year over year. Yeah, that's just not acceptable either. Uh, Look, it'd be one thing if you had a gigantic wealth management business or the big jump that you saw at Morgan Stanley. Uh, It'd be another thing if you just said, okay, well, look, we have big compensation increase, but we don't have uh, a a concomitant uh, growth in equity uh, earnings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> David, this was a, a, a quarter where Goldman, I think, should have made more. You can fall back on how much they made last year. But I don't, do think it exposes that there's a little bit naked here, that you need some M&A and some investment banking to offset the growth, what they, what they had in uh, wealth management. And David, you know, I know that they're going to say that the card business is not the problem. But I remember another banker, another CEO at a major bank that I'm not going to reveal, who said, you can't touch the card business if you have to do it from scratch, because the investment's going to be a couple billion. Now it's a little bit more than that. And it, it's not clear that they're getting the return. We it should, doesn't matter. We should uh, differentiate, though, between the card business and also the other efforts in consumer banking, right. namely the Marcus, Marcus name that people know well, where they seem to have taken their foot off the accelerator. Yeah, they, they've made a couple of acquisitions. And I think, David... Goldman Sachs is a high net worth uh, company. That's who they work with. 
And this lower net worth, I think if you could do it all automatic, you know, if, look, if you had artificial intelligence, maybe, maybe had, by the way, the artificial intelligence of, of Wells Fargo is going to be ignored today. But Wells Fargo did some great things. Uh, Bank of America technology there is superior. I just didn't see anything in in uh, in Goldman to like. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I know that that's well, look, the return I on Goldman. equity. I mean, for the fourth quarter at four point four percent, four point four percent is unacceptable. Um, return it's on tangible equity four point eight percent. I mean, contrast that with J.P. Morgan. And it is worth noting on Friday we got results from all the banks. We sat here watching the stocks begin the day down, ending the day higher. Jim, something you had actually called for because well, you were relatively yeah, positive. One day. But again, I'm contrasting. J.P. Morgan had a great return. J.P. Morgan was the most defensible buy. You can buy J.P. Morgan and just say, listen, I want to own a bank during this period. Uh, They have superior worldwide uh, businesses. Uh, Number one, pretty much a lot of the businesses that made money. But most importantly, J.P. Morgan is just killing it on on, on their holdings, on how much they have. So did Bank of America. I thought Bank of America deserved better. Uh, But J.P. Morgan will be the bank. J.P. Morgan down $1.50 is probably wrong. I think that J.P. Morgan can make a comeback. Uh, some longtime bulls in Wells Fargo pulled the trigger, went to uh, hold. I think that that's probably excessive, given the fact that Charlie Schroff spoke about the end of the liabilities and the beginning of playing offense. David, right. if I had known that there would be four, five, six billion dollars in uh, problems there from uh, the old regime, I really I w- would have been shocked that Charlie even took the job. But he's almost there. Almost there is very hard to believe, given right. this. That, is, but this is the year when he's did, done. That stock did perform quite well as the day well, went the along on Friday. The I want to come back here. to Goldman, and I also Certainly. want to hit Morgan Goldman Stanley again. a bit I wanna, more. Because we're, gonna, we're getting the conference call. When's the conference? Goldman conference call is um, 9.30. You're going to hear, you're gonna hear um, unacceptable You know, and again, things. I'm looking at a couple of notes here. Focus could be on the ability to control costs, generate positive operating leverage as they undergo at least what one of these analysts says, a strategic realignment. I question that. Yeah. They're not going to do any layoffs. They're going to say that they still, they're still hiring, and there's no, no sense of that kind of, uh, I don't want to call it urgency, but since they need to do that, mm-hmm. I think they are more hopeful about that and don't need to make that kind of reorg. But I do think, David, when you look about what they made on their balance sheet, it's clearly questionable versus what J.P. Morgan made on its balance sheet. Right. Uh, and then you have a Wells being really going uh, pure consumer and trying to get uh, this this consumer financial. The, the board that they got past that, that's more than three billion dollars. We knew it was coming, but that was the one. They have nine more uh, cons- consent decrees that they have to complete. Wait, we're talking now about now Wells. Wells. Yeah. We're jumping to Wells. OK, okay. just um, make you sure. know, I think I'm that Morgan something. Stanley was the cleanest. Okay, let's get to Morgan then. Sure. Uh, well, I want to come. We'll come back to Goldman a number of times. By the way, before we, finish, right, I don't Goldman, mean to complain. I mean, you know, earnings were three thirty-two a share. A lot of the estimates were in the high fives, maybe even six bucks a share. Just to give it, you know, give you a sense here. Uh, fact set consensus well, was five fifty-six. You're going to hear Goldman fold and sword. I don't think that David Solomon is going to say anything that he that he felt was acceptable out of this quarter. Um, Morgan Stanley, however, you're going to hear a different story from James Gorman. One would expect. Um, Given, uh, well, even the quote from the release, solid fourth quarter results, difficult market environment, strong year for the firm, clear strategy, balanced business model. And that got us to uh, an RTC of 16 percent, despite what he calls the complex. I find that extraordinary. Backdrop. Well, you know, look, I think that the, uh, the snap judgment journalist, and, uh, but not analyst, is that their trading wasn't that good. But trading was a strange environment, and I'm not going to say that this firm is the trade. You know, this is the firm that I, I almost went to work at, where they were, where trading was huge. 
but that was that's yesteryear. This is a wealth management company, plain and simple, including Schwab. And they killed it. And I, they brought in $50 billion of new money. And almost as like, well, BlackRock had an exceptional amount of new money. BlackRock brought I, in, yeah. The number one in, you know, but they're still number one in equities trading. And they went after wealth, and Goldman didn't. I think it's important to distinguish these two. Morgan Stanley's changed its business model. It, yes, well, it, we've would, talked about this for years. This right, is not news, is, hopefully, to anyone who's been following this for some time. That, but, that change has not occurred over the last quarter. No, That's been no, the many news, years. Obviously, a number of significant acquisitions along the way, too. You're absolutely right, E-Trade, but you know they and look more like Schwab. Yes, I think, yeah. They look more like Schwab. But I think what's important is that I was shocked that Goldman was as, as bad as it was. Uh, I thought that they could offset or navigate what was a very difficult capital market slash M&A environment. But did you see how much Bank of America made in fixed income? Yeah. J.P. Morgan made in fixed income? I mean, these companies, J.P. Morgan, can I just say, David, if you had told me that J.P. Morgan could make this much without any M&A, without any investment bank, you said, no, it's just not possible. Jamie Dimon's not, he's not capable to you. That was a complete uh, misjudgment by me. I am shocked at how well they were able to put together this quarter now, in this environment. Of course, we, you know, there have been these reports of Goldman embarking on layoffs. Not a surprise. Not true. Given, not true. Wait, what's not true? Layoffs. They're not? I mean, aren't no. they going to? No. They're still hiring. Trend? They're still hiring. Well, they have to hire 3,000 younger people each year well, half, to replenish, half replenish the their, ranks. It's so glad you mentioned it. But they have 48,000 employees. So, you know, I, I mean, there are you, these reports that they're, they're laying some people off are not wrong, Jim. Well, I just think that they're going to be net long employees. Mm. By the way, back to office. I know you care about them. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. But also technology and engineering, uh, where, you know, that's where they sort of have to update the tech stack. They'll continue to. No, I'm saying they'll continue to spend there. I don't know, but that's. And again, that gets back to non-comp expenses going up. Yes, non-comp. I would tell you that Bank of America has the least exposure to need to upgrade technology. Mm-hmm. They are very current. They've spent a fortune on it, and it's really paying off now. Bank of America uh, is, was a clean quarter. J.P. Morgan still, I don't think, I still think they're underspending on technology. Uh, look, all right. Wells, Wells is, <laughs> Wells is behind, behind on everything. Um, well, we're going to be, you know, we'll monitor the Goldman call. Uh, we'll keep an eye on the stock uh, as well. Uh, but right now, two divergent stories. I want to move on to another story this morning, too. So just is, so I want to say J.P. Morgan and Morgan Stanley are my favorites okay. so far. And then Bank of America. But wait. Weren't we here on Friday? You were talking about Wells Fargo so well, positively. I'm well, J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo. I have, no, one what? is great and the other's bad. Good. Look, Charlie hey, Sharp. You seems to indicate that Wells Fargo was your of the stocks you thought. Well, I don't want to put words no, in no, your mouth. No, okay. But no, the way I took it was more upside, no. perhaps with Wells okay. Fargo than any other banks okay, of not, the big banks. All right, let me just go. Am I wrong? J.P. Morgan was a great quarter. Just distinguished because it made great money without investment banking and M&A. Wells Fargo is going from bad to good, and the market prefers a bad to good situation with a big buyback and only a billion dollars left before they get the consent decrees removed. So one's bad to good. People like that. Got it. One's consistently good. People are okay with that. Give me something new. Give me. Tell me something I don't know. Uh, about another industry. About another industry? Yeah. I, I don't have anything to tell you right now about any other industry. I want to talk about China, actually. China. Yeah, I want to move on to China because that's another important story from this morning that the market is going to digest. Sure, is that you mean okay the fact that they're not growing anymore? They're not 
not just not growing. Their economy is still growing, although at rates the likes of which it's like not us. seen in a long time. But their population is shrinking. And when you um, have 900 million people have COVID, it's really put it in perspective. Let's give you some of the headlines here. Of course, China did post sharply slower economic growth for 2022. GDP did come in at 3%. And that's the second lowest level uh, in at least four decades. Of course, Jim just mentioned the COVID lockdowns. Uh, they did impact households, businesses. They have been lifted. Uh, and now we've got a, they've got a lot of COVID there. At the same time, the company's National Bureau of Statistics says that uh, its population declined last year. That would be the first time in, let's call it roughly 60 years. The decline's very small, but more people did die than were born in the country. And of course, once that begins, Jim, it just doesn't stop. No, and um, I mean, I, I, I don't mean to, to uh, disparage the government too much, but if you do not have seniors on vaccines, then your 900 million COVID people will produce a lot of deaths. And uh, whether it's heartless or whether you just think that they just discourage use of vaccines because they're Western, uh, whether they uh, took the Pfizer drug for if you get it for the people who are elite, uh, I think it's a, a, a very suboptimal situation developing in China. Yeah. Uh, now, they, of course, told us last week it was 60,000 COVID deaths. Many people still questioning that, even though that was far above any number they had previously provided, Jim. Yeah, I just um, think their numbers can't be trusted. It's like, but oh, well, but look, the real question, though, is what will the real acceleration of the economy be off of this 3% number, energy. given they have opened up again, they have relaxed uh, the regulations to some extent, or at least pulled back a bit, it would seem, in terms of the very stringent regulatory regime that tech firms found themselves dealing with for the last couple of years. Uh, and there is a lot more commerce potentially about to take place and or already taking place, despite the fact that many people are getting COVID. Janet Yellen was surprised meeting with top official of China. Janet Yellen's meeting will be substantive because she is and she's a hardliner. Uh, most of the discussion in private equity this morning in Davos is about, without a doubt, I mean, it's been really clear about this, that, yep. there's, that there's going to be a thaw, that the war is, the Cold War's ending. I, I see no, no signs of that, none whatsoever. Um, Jim, but, I want to move on to a story that you and I have been following as well uh, as of last week, and that is uh, this Disney fight, because it's a fun one. Uh, and I say that in the sense of somebody who's covered so many activist campaigns for such a long period of time. Nelson Peltz, of course, as our viewers may know, is seeking a board uh, on uh, the Dis- a seat on the Disney right. board. Uh, he joined us last week as a guest. We had a very interesting, long conversation about his desire for that seat, why he's looking for it, what he wants to try to accomplish if, in fact, he is successful in that proxy fight. This morning, though, I want to tell people now we've got uh, Disney firing back. Uh, and uh, coming back hard at Mr. Peltz on a number of different issues that he raised during both uh, his interview with us and uh, his his presentation as well um, in the in the course of his uh, filing of his proxy. A um, number of different things to share with you uh, from uh, the background that Disney shares of its conversations with Mr. Peltz and a presentation as well that Disney is just uh, releasing uh, at this moment. You know, the key thing in the background, of course, that contrasts at least with the story that Mr. Peltz has been uh, uh, sharing is that there was a lot of engagement with Disney's board and Mr. Peltz. That at least is what Disney is telling you at this point. Beginning on July 11th, continue on July 15th, July 16th, when actually it was 
Bob Chapek, who is still running the company, engaging with him. A lot of activity involving Ike Perlmutter as well. Still the chairman of Marvel, significant Disney shareholder. Largest Disney shareholder. And I'd asked, uh, I'd asked Nelson last week when we interviewed him about his relationship with Perlmutter and how it, if in any way, it sort of impacted his decision making. He did not really answer that question per se, other than to say that he talks to a lot of Disney shareholders. But Jim, when you look at the background here, you see uh, many references to Perlmutter. He held a call with Bob Chapek and Christine McCarthy to advocate for Pelts joining the board. That was in July. Peltz and Perlmutter held an hour-long call with Safra Katz, a Disney director, to advocate for Peltz joining the board. Uh, Peltz, of course, also having several calls with Christine McCarthy in August. Multiple calls with Chapek, um, several calls with Christine McCarthy in November. Perlmutter separately contacting uh, Safra Katz and Chapek and McCarthy uh, to advocate for Peltz in November. So that's interesting. The background here contrasting from Disney's perspective, saying, we have plenty of engagement. We took Mr. Pelt seriously from the very beginning, even when he didn't own any shares. But ultimately, of course, what they do get into is the reasons why they do not want to offer him a board seat, Jim. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're putting out the idea that he's disruptive, that he can, that one person can hurt a board. Uh, I understand entirely about the Perlmutter relationship and that Perlmutter correctly saw that there could be a gigantic uh, write-off. Uh, with Fox, that right off of Fox is, has dogged Iger, who is sensitive to it. Uh, but it, it's his. It's not JPEG. They are I, very sensitive to Fox, as you say. They right. do spend a good amount of time in their deck here in responding, talking about the Fox transaction being critical to positioning the company for the direct-to-consumer uh, business, of course. They point out as well that, remember, they did get $15 billion back from our parent company, Comcast, when they, uh, when they bought uh, Sky out of that. Here's one of the more damning things that comes out of the background. Despite months of engagement, Mr. Peltz, and this was very late, this was the January meeting they're referring to here, had not actually presented a single strategic idea for Disney, that their assessment of Disney seemed oblivious to the secular change that had been ongoing in the media industry. It's vicious. It's a, tr- it's a totally vicious quote. I know that it's got, it, it instantly gotten very personal. Uh, I do believe that Peltz, to some degree, feels that there needs to be a discipline in the board. Uh, there were some people who felt that this board uh, lacked leadership. The difficult thing is that Mark Parker is a leader, the a board member who's now uh, lead director. He's a serious guy, Mark it, Oh, he's yeah. a serious guy. But he then will again, he's take over his company's chairman, chairman after the annual meeting. I don't like that after what I saw with uh, Brett Taylor, where he was co-CEO with Salesforce, but he spent almost a lot of time being chairman of Twitter. Uh, David, I, I, Pelts is, is, is really slagged here as if he was not a good force of Procter & Gamble. I think that that is something that David Taylor said is not true, that he was uh, not a, a good force at Heinz. Bob Johnson came on Mad Money and said that's just not true, uh, and that he didn't really help it, uh, that, uh, well, that, that he didn't help it pretty much any place that he's been involved in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet Unilever chose him as a board member. You could say, well, yeah, because they wanted the information from Procter. I think that's unfair. Uh, Wendy's perf- liked his uh, analysis. David, they... This is going to be an interesting battle. They Um, really think that they can defeat this man with the stock being destroyed. Well, at the same time, they st- they come back to they come back at him on total shareholder return as well. Well, there is a he disagreement. Did share that at the very end of our interview, um, Nelson came back to this idea. Hey, look at the total shareholder return, and Disney's rejoinder would be, Yeah, take a look at it because when you actually look at the tenure of Mr. Iger over the period that he was CEO from 05 till 2020, uh, you'll see that uh, at least in their opinion. 
that, in fact, he had the best long-term track record of any CEO of, and of course, we did know this. Um, and again, we're talking, by the way, uh, appreciation plus reinvestment of dividends, stock price appreciation. Disney, they say, up 554% versus the S&P's 244% gain over that period. So their rejoinder to him, Jim, is simply, hey, you looked at a different timeline. And in fact, they did. Pelts went yes, back to when... Iger was president, but joined the board for their TSR. And so they included the Eisner end of the Eisner era, whereas when you actually look at from Iger CEO to Iger stepping down as CEO, it was an impressive TSR. Exactly. And I agree with that. Uh, but Peltz does add that executive chairman is a working executive and that that period has to be included. And that period was not a good period. The, the number of Chapek uh Well, that calls period did include the did pandemic. Did surprise me. Yeah. Right. It yeah. did surprise me uh, that there was such a, a firm effort to try to engage JPEG. I, I felt that when I listened to the, I, look, I, this is your presentation. You have this. Uh, you have an edge on me, and I always want to admit that. I don't have this in front of me. I will tell you that I think that this is. No, but I want my, your take. It's important sure. to get your take in the moment, uh, especially because you have covered it closely. You were part of the interview with Mr. Peltz. Um, first, you know, I want to distinguish a lot. And by the way, you were the first person to basically call for JPEG's head. Yes, I were. But and I want to. You were I, correct in having done that because the board followed not too long after. I'm going to quote my wife on this. If I have the self-importance to think I played any role in this, then I really don't deserve to be in this business. Um, well, I'm a I do think we gave them some ideas from our interview because they actually go on to quote about MSG Sports and and Peltz's uh, time on the board there. That was. Something that I brought up with him, of course, when he said, well, they have a good you hockey remember team. Remember, this thing was trying when it's a trying money. And I know that they're telling right. a very negative story but, about GE and his time on GE. And his time on GE. But they do come back to the Fox transaction because it is something you brought up any number of times. In fact, you just mentioned, I think, earlier, on, you know, the $71 billion. $71 billion. billion. Now, Pelt said $30 billion to be right off. Now, I think there are people who say did, $50 but billion. But they did sell Sky for a premium to Comcast and therefore reduce that immediately well, but, So that we billion. distinguish but, them because they, they, they had no. a war with Comcast, what, so what, therefore it's okay? Their, their response would be very simply in terms of the balance sheet, because that is I mean, a the, concern the destroyed that Pelt's The destroyed Pelt's balance sheet. Raised, that their net leverage is effectively the same as post the closing of the deal in fiscal year 19, and it's only one turn higher than fiscal year 17. They say it was the global pandemic uh, that dramatically impacted Disney, uh, that they lost billions in cash provided by operations, obviously, and that is where they really suffered in terms of the balance sheet, um, and not as a result of the Fox transaction. Do you think they it will be a real, to defend the Fox Will it transaction. be a real distraction, do you think, that Pulse wants to get on the board? You know, I think it already is a distraction. It's got to be to a certain extent. And do but, you think the narrative that he just wants to be in the papers is a correct one? Since I, I think I, that's a false narrative. I guess narrative. what I, I come back and I've said this, I don't quite understand either side. I don't quite understand why Disney didn't say, I don't understand why Pulse is, is persisting. I don't quite get it, what he thinks here, why this is so important to him. And at the same time, I can understand why he would have thought, well, Disney's going to say yes to me. Why wouldn't they? Well, I think he felt that, uh, that he could bring some discipline. But I know that they feel very strongly that they don't need any discipline. Well, no, I don't say that. Everyone needs discipline, and Iger was going to bring discipline. Uh, I do think that the Mark Parker uh, versus Susan Arnold, the previous chairman, uh, makes it so that the secession is real. Yeah. And that is something, if I had to disagree with Nelson Peltz on anything, it would be that uh, perhaps... There's real succession the, the, going on. Obviously, the they changed emperor, out the CEO during the period of time right. that he was actually talking to Who them. picked JPEG? Say again? Who picked JPEG? Well, the board and Iger. Yeah. Right. 
Who, I mean, uh, Iger was who the made an acquisition that made it so death canceled dividend? Well, they would what, say, you're Jim, gonna say COVID? they would say that Mr. it was the COVID pandemic. Mr. COVID was on the board? That they would say it was the pandemic. And that every time they've done a deal, obviously none of the size of Fox. And I do remember this because I remember the Pixar deal criticizing Iger for the multiple they paid there. Right. But Pixar, Marvel, Lucas, everybody said they overpaid. Obviously smaller deals. They say, hey, it was right around what the multiple would have been. Yeah. If anybody thinks that 12. I, 12.4 times. If anybody thinks that I play realist, I would call them thin skin. All right. Well, there you have it. The back and forth uh, that we have right here is a, a lot of what shareholders will be Absolutely. thinking about when it comes to Disney. All right. Let's give you one more look at futures. Of course, we're going to have an opening bell uh, six minutes from now. we got to get to a break. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Applause building here at the New York Stock Exchange. We're going to get an opening bell in two, one. Take a look at the real time exchange. Here's the big board, Providence Financial Services, celebrating its 20th listing anniversary. Over at the NASDAQ Trade Web, operating marketplaces for rates, equities, money markets. Kind of a mixed bag this morning, of course, coming off of what's been a pretty strong market so far, at least for. The two weeks we've had of trading right. thus far in the year, Jim. I think it's reasonable to think that we uh, so-called flop and chop here. Uh, we had, I think, the Goldman quarter so different from, say, Bank of America, where even better killed it in equities. Goldman has you know, always dominated equities. I, I just think that's going to color things because it makes you feel like Friday was an aberration. Uh, it makes you feel like the, the head of steam that's in the uh, 7% for small cap uh, may be aberrant. But, David, I still come back to the fact that there's a lot more that to owning companies in a end of a tightening cycle than I think, say, Mike Wilson is very negative yes. and is staying negative. That, that's perhaps a dangerous thing. I want to talk about Tesla for a second. Sure. Um, Tesla as well as Netflix. Netflix on, Tesla on the share rise. is starting up about 3-plus percent this now, morning. This tells me that maybe Tesla's a little immunized from a piece like Tony Saganegi where he says, how low could fiscal year 23 numbers go? He goes to 380, and could it be worse? I think that a lot of people feel, well, no kidding. No kidding. Why do you think Tesla's been so bad? Uh, I also think that when you push a negative story on Tesla, uh, it's a sleeping giant now. I mean, you got to be worried that there might be a backlash. Look. What, what do you mean when you say a sleeping giant? Well, I mean, yes, it's true. They're cutting prices. But they have good Without margins. They have good margins. Uh, there's some people who talk about how it could bring down the whole industry. 
that's a powerful thought, that EVs are no longer going to be uh, so-called where the action is. I just don't want to bet against Tesla as much as you would when it's down so much. I still would bet in favor of Netflix, even though it's up a lot, as there are multiple analysts saying, look, the, you, you, you haven't seen yet. Let's not, let's not finish the conversation on Tesla. You sure. saw some of the market share numbers out of China as well. I well, mean, EVs now representing, is it as much as half of it's all not sales? Um, the it, domestic... What, the NEO numbers, which are yeah, very good? Yeah, the domestic manufacturers are doing quite well in the Chinese market. It's obviously a very important one for Tesla. Um, and then I'd also just come back to uh, that trial that we've talked about. It's going to begin, I believe, today right. in San Francisco. Right. Uh, that's a securities fraud trial. And the question really is whether those tweets were material in some way to misleading people yeah, in the I, sense I, of this is from 2018. It's Remember, a distraction from the distraction. It private, have funding secured from the Saudis, but it's another distraction. Right. Uh, look, I think that when you look at what Elon's been doing over the weekend in terms of his polls about how to change uh, Twitter, I like it. I've always felt that the big users of Twitter have been completely ignored. Uh, I, look, I, you know, Tesla's... David, maybe it's just a car company. That's the thing. It's a car company, so therefore it doesn't deserve anywhere near the market. Not the multiple, but the market capitalization. And that's the charge being leveled. But how about the fact that the long knives were out on Tesla and the stock's up? What does that say? Stock's up over 4%. What does that Uh, say? That was obviously got a decent gain for the year. Still Still well below that of GM and Ford, which have both had a nice start to the year. Again, all of these stocks were crushed last year. Tesla more so, but Ford and GM certainly did not have a good year in the stock market either. Did you see the uh, tactical positive uh, Evercore on Apple saying that they may guide up? That's not the theory that I was using, and I think that that's important because Apple has become one of the only mega caps that's left that people are behind. Witness the Microsoft downgrade. Yeah, I'm looking which at was that right savage. now. A Guggenheim downgrade of Microsoft to a sell. Savage. The price target is below, uh, as you'd expect a sell to be. They have a $212 price target. They don't necessarily expect Microsoft to miss numbers, but they may disappoint investors nevertheless for both uh, the second quarter of 23 and guidance for the year is what they say. Yes. Greater exposure to the small and medium-sized market than any other name in our coverage universe. Small and medium-sized businesses typically fare worse than larger enterprises in a macro slowdown. Kind of goes on for there, from there, Jim. I, I, I'll defer to you on whether well, this has I think any real credence. The, the, no, the actual notion of what Guggenheim is talking about is they go work, they hold the cell. And I thought that Neil Bush represented himself well today, but neither here nor there. Uh, Z-scale going by the hold. I think these are all uh, of a piece. This is the decline and fall of uh, enterprise software. And you're seeing it, by the way, in some of the holdings of banks. They also invest in enterprise software. Enterprise software is being valued now as something that turns out to be not as great when you don't have new companies. This is also the long knives for, uh, for Salesforce. Mark Benioff talking about how many, you know, huge number of trees, uh, trees going fast. I want the trees going fast at Salesforce. And obviously, I'm the backer of Salesforce, but I do feel that, that enterprise software had tur- turned out to be uh, more related to advertising more related to Mark growth. Mark Beasley does do a, an interview he with Sarah will, and Davos, be, I, where I, he does talk about I, I want him to be less uh, political There's and more about 
with the trees. You want the trees. I'll buy Gabe Marr for his birthday. I, I, I bought 20,000 trees in Oregon. Um, I want to come back to Microsoft for a minute. Not sure. the downgrade today, but they're going to be incorporating AI, Satya Nadella said in an interview with the journal, I think, but from yeah. Davos, in Azure, in all of their different offerings. Meant nothing. We of haven't been talking that much about this chat GPT. Uh, and what that really means. Obviously, there are efforts underway at other companies, such as Alphabet, one would imagine, when it comes to AI, about things that we are not really as aware of, but perhaps are equal to, if not exceeding, this what's is been not, done. Oh, this is not Alexa, play Beethoven's fifth uh, but, piano concerto, which they can't get. But Microsoft, this is an important well, relationship. They got the, they script the fourth. And the journal reporting about you know, the possibility of them investing, or maybe with some others reporting $10 billion. Well, I mean, have in, you used uh, it? I mean, it's a little funny. I, I tried yesterday, and it was busy. It Did you get a, a poem about no, it yourself? Let me on. said, sorry, we're the servers, um, whatever it was. I thought it was like, you know, Emerson throw Kramer. I mean, it's insane. It, it makes you, you can be smart. I mean, this is kind of like when I spoke to myself when I was in NVIDIA. And it asked me what was uh, what was my you know, feeling on the market. I mean, there's a lot going on that I think uh, is a ri- rivaling China, by the way, where you basically can be somebody else. And, and I mean, I painted like Picasso at NVIDIA. And I painted like Monet. I did a seascape. Uh, this is similar. But we've been talking about AI and it's uh, well, it's, it's finally there. Commercial importance. Exactly. But, but not it the is commercial importance. Right. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. But it's going to start to be incorporated in the enterprise in ways that we're just beginning to get a sense for. I and I mean, when that. Microsoft says we're going to be including it in all of our offerings and for Azure, and you know that's that not Amazon must be working on something. But you know, of and course. the companies like Amazon and Alphabet, not Amazon, their multiple's not high. But the Alphabet uh, multiple is frightening to me because it's kind of what a steel company would be trading very at right now multiple. going into recession. It's a very low multiple, and I do point that out because remember they do have an AI effort underway. Yes, they we do. Just don't hear We're as much about it. a good steel company, not a bad Very one. significant. Uh, uh, David, AI I've effort. got I, you know when I look at things, there are other things that are well, happening you know in the M&A world that I thought you there go are. Over. I'm going to get to that, but you did finish your point on Netflix because I oh, cut you off. Oh, it's so loved the all of a sudden. Two and a half percent. That's a buy. Still up ten percent for the year. You Why are you mentioning it's Netflix? It's the slate. It's the slate. I mean, people are talking about these again, and they have a lot of good things. A lot of people are talking about how it under-earned and how it under-produced. And I would go back to that conference call when Ted Sarandos, when they were going around once again and talking about what they watch, which was devo- they were devoid of that for the last two years. Mm-hmm. You know, and by the way, there's a lot. I mean, you know, streaming is maybe better than we think in terms of uh, product. Worse than we think in terms of growth, except for Netflix, where they think that this, the oh, theme is that subscriber growth is going to be great. But whether or not it's actually going to be a profitable business strategy for so many of these companies that have pursued it, not clear. With an enormous expenditure of capital. Once again, I'm going to reference a book that, is, that comes out Valentine's Day, unscripted by James Stewart. Uh, they, the company spent a lot of time trying to figure out whether they should be Viacom, whether they should be CBS, Viacom, CBS, dealing with the problems with Moonves. They spent, they were distracted like no other company during a period where you had to make a move. Yes. And their move seems to be very, um, let's say, uh, post-apocalyptic for, uh, for streaming. Meanwhile, Disney, I mean, I'm sure everybody can say what a great move it was that they have more content? Well, they did. They had a lot more Mandalorian. Content. How about that? Instead of uh, offering Schefter last night, By I got to hear about Mandalorian. I did. I watched the I wanted to know about coaching preview. changes. Instead, I got Mandalorian I, ad. I watched the first two uh, seasons of The Mandalorian. My daughter's a big fan of well, that. I just uh, I want to know what's happening in the NFL. It was good. I'll tell you what's happening in the NFL. 
The Giants are playing at your Eagles on Saturday night at 8.15. I run scared. Seven and a half. Give seven and a half. That's nonsense. I, 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 Notice how why, wait, you're not, wait, the wait. analysts don't like to talk about that. You're the worried about the air. Giants against your Eagles? I mean, Daniel Jones did look I worry about good. it. When it comes he to, when it comes to football, I worry about it. You want to talk M&A? No, I want, to talk about, I want to talk about containing Jones. <laughs> All right, yeah, let's, let's to contain. Uh, although your guy's pretty have, good. Thank you. And we're rested. Can First, we go over? And you're really rested. Can we I know, go over? And a Saturday night start after Sunday. I mean, that seems a little unfair to the Giants. Six days instead of seven. Every day a Talk to the commissioner. Helpful. Speak to the commissioner. All right. Can I, I'm going to do a favor report on this Emerson hostel. And then I want you to chime in and share your Oh, thoughts. I got a lot to say about it. I bet you do. Where's my, uh, where are my elements? Here they are. All right. If, you, if you're just joining us, by the way, uh, a company called National Instrument has received it's a hostile, uh, at least the way we used to describe it. No, you know, the, the company making that bid doesn't ever want to refer to that way. They prefer unsolicited. They say it's certainly not hostile to shareholders, but it is. Uh, it's got the stock up. National Instrument on Friday uh, came out with an announcement saying, hey, we're going to begin a strategic review process. Little did we know at the time that one of the key reasons for that is because Emerson's been trying to buy them since May. Uh, and this morning, Emerson comes out. Guns blazing. And when I say that, I mean uh, all the background to the, to the different bids that they've made and the, and the attempts that they've made to engage with them. More on that in a moment. They started at 48. They're now at 53 bucks a share. You can see the stock is trading right around that and the expectation perhaps this will end at a higher price or even that there might be another company that might be interested. Uh, they also purchased 2.3 million shares of the company. They've also filed Hart Scott. Uh, to buy more. Uh, they've also said, hey, in their, this is one of their last letters in November, we're going to come after a couple of your board seats. Why not? Uh, including, by the way, the chairman is up. So they're coming on all fronts uh, at Emerson to buy this company. Uh, it does have a staggered board, but the fact is they now have begun a process. Remember, again, the announcement on Friday was the key one, commencing a strategic review process. And so it seems highly likely that this company will be sold. Will it be sold to Emerson? Well, that is perhaps more of a question. Um, in speaking to people who are familiar with the situation, I am told that Emerson Jim did engage with uh, National Instruments over the last couple of three weeks, um, but came away from that engagement feeling that their price expectations were unrealistic. Um, and there you go, just the last eight months. But they felt their price expectations were unrealistic. Uh, when I broached the idea, perhaps, of, of a final number having a six in front of it, I was told, not us. Right. I not think us. They could comp- I thought they could complete this. My chapel trust owns Emerson, and uh, obviously it stinks. It stings when you don't have a completed deal, because I did like test and measurement, which is national instrument. It fits in well with uh, going digitizing. Uh, various industries, uh, aerospace digitizing. By the way, test and measurement will help them with their grid work for uh, electrical grid. Okay. Uh, when I see this kind of thing, and I know this management team, and I think it's a good team. When they just Lyle, did a deal with Blackstone in terms of spending. Yes, they, and that was very active that was when it comes Gray, to Jonathan Gray, you know, yep. head-to-head, Lyle, uh, Lyle Carson by, as I, I tell. Is the CEO of Emerson. CEO of Emerson. I thought that this deal could get done in test and measurement. Uh, I understand that it's extremely uh, disappointing to shareholders who just said, you know, why would you ever do hostile? 
people don't like Haas. No, but I will give them this, which is if you're going to do it, just do it. And they are um, owning shares, filing hard, Scott, coming after the board. They're not screwing around here. By the way, they have, to their point, tried to engage with the company for quite some time. As I said, there does appear to have been some engagement that took place more recently, but resulted yes. in the fact that there was a price discrepancy that they did not feel they could bridge, uh, at least in a friendly manner. Uh, and so we are left with a $53 bid right now. We'll see how much higher it goes. We'll see whether there are other companies. Right. Yeah, I wish they would You'd imagine, on. though, that uh, National Instrument, having at least for the last eight months been sort of saying no, so to speak, to the letters they've been getting from this company, I that they might have be, gotten a sense for I, who else was out there. I don't want um, this to be a distraction. And I know Emerson had a lot of firepower, and I do like the fact that, say, they, they get rid of Insincorator Whirlpool, which, by the way, was able to do a JV with Arcelic, therefore making so their European losses were uh, ameliorated, and they did not have a good quarter last quarter, so I'm not going to jump um, over Whirlpool. But I do think that Emerson, uh, I wanted this news to be you more just wanted like a, Whirlpool. You wanted a friendly deal. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm told they're valuing the company at what they say is about 23 times consensus uh, EBITDA. Excuse me. 17 times 2023 consensus EBITDA. Uh, when you back out stock-based comp, which I guess is fairly significant, they say it's 21 times. They say that's a heck of a multiple from their perspective, at least the people close to Emerson, sort of indicate that they believe that that is uh, a multiple that should be accepted by the company. It obviously is not. By the way, National Instrument going to more of one of those recurring revenue kind of model, saying they're going to have higher margins as a result. They had an investor presentation a few months ago. The November 29th investor presentation, this is exactly fitting in with it. David, the question is, if you're approaching good faith and you're given a stiff arm, yeah. what is your, what are well, your Most of the time, you just go away. Right. I mean, 95% of the time, <sighs> you go away uh, if, you're, if you're a company. But every so often, you say no, not that's going why, away. That's why I was discouraged by this. I mean, I know I wanted them to do a deal. I wanted yeah. them to be uh, less in sync greater and more toward the, the future. But, David, uh, I don't, a hostile to me is, uh, it, in this environment, is, is never what I want to say. It's interesting. Uh, so we do have some M&A. Uh, by the way, maybe that will help Goldman Sachs in oh, the current please. quarter, which is advising I, I, Emerson, I, I, I should add, uh, along with Right, uh, they're, Goldman, they're, go, Goldman, they're a um, long-time Goldman. Yeah, um, but that stock, Goldman Sachs, down almost 4%. The conference call Makes has sense. begun at 9.30. We're going to share whatever we get up from that with Goldman's you. Goldman's not happy with itself. What are you going to you know, say, disagree um, with David Solomon, the CEO? Let, let's get over to Bob Bassani. Not sure if that's having an impact more broadly, Bob, but certainly want to get your take on the markets right now. Well, it's, see, the S&P's flat. It just went positive a second ago. Dow's down a half a percent, and that's because Goldman is weighing very heavily to a lesser extent J.P. Morgan. Uh, on the Dow. Take a look at the sectors. Kind of a, believe it or not, flattish open in terms of uh, sector advances. Consumer staples were up. Healthcare was up. Now it's flat, as you can see. Semiconductors, there's a big story of a global growth on the year. They're a big leadership group. And the banks are weighing on things uh, right now. So just take a look at the banks. Goldman, of course, uh, is uh, 90 points of the Dow. Uh, that's a big stock, big price stock. So it's weighing heavily on the Dow. That's probably 90 out of the 160 points. Morgan Stanley is up there. JP Morgan's another 20 points or so. So 110 of the 150 points in the downside on the Dow are due to JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs. Key is also a little bit uh, on the weak side. Goldman Sachs, uh, my favorite uh, report this morning, an uncharacteristic dud. That's what Evercore ISI said about Goldman Sachs report this morning. Of course, we talked about the higher expenses, the higher provisions for loan losses there. Just take a look, though. I want to show you some other things. 
the global economy is starting to look a little bit better, and the players in the global economy have been doing better this year. I noted last week how the strong performances we've seen this year in Caterpillar, in General Electric, in Cummins, Deere, United Rentals, these are big global industrial stocks, all at or near 52-week highs last week. And again, the same situation right now. You see they're outperforming. So we look at January so far and we see this is not a bull market, but it's starting to approach one. Let me just show you why. We're up 4% for the year. Half of the S&P 500 is above its 200-day moving average. That means they're generally in an uptrend. Metals and mining, global signifiers of growth up 12% year-to-date. Semiconductors, another global signifier growth up 11% uh, this year. The global markets are starting to look a little bit better. We, how many years have we seen underperformance in emerging markets and, and Europe? And yet not this year. The Hang Seng is one of the better performers in the year. The stock 600's up 7%. That's the S&P for Europe. Korea's up 6%. Remember, the S&P is up 4%. So we're outperforming. So for once, it looks like some of these fund managers are positioned correctly. We make fun of the of the Bank of America Global Fund Survey managers. They're usually behind the curve. Actually, this time they were on top of things. They are, this just came out this morning. They're underweight. This is a survey of global fund managers, underweight the United States, and they've been overweight Europe and the emerging markets. Well, heavens, they actually are right this time. That was the correct call on a short-term basis. What's interesting is their theories about how the global economy is looking. The odds of a recession are declining. Now, 68% is awfully high on a historic basis, but it was 77% in the last survey. So the recession odds are declining here. The ex- inflation expectations also appear to be peaking. The, high, the, expect, the expectations for high inflation were greatest in the prior months, and they've been declining in this particular monthly survey. The contrarian trade, of course, is a long U.S. stock. So it looks, David, to me, it looks like these global fund managers are starting to embrace uh, the the sort of peak inflation story and the soft landing hypothesis that so many other people in the United States are currently embracing. What the people who are not uh, right now are the global or the U.S. strategists. Most of them, David, still believe we're going to have negative earnings and a rather weak first half of the year. David, back to you. Yep. And that is kind of where one of the key, uh, if not the key debate, is taking place, Bob. And did you see the uh, Empire report? It just shows you employment growth stalls. An index for number of employees fell 11 points, 2.8. Lowest level more than two years. This is what we have to watch. That's New York State, right? Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's go ahead to break. But before we do, quick, give you a quick bond report. How are Treasuries faring this morning, you ask? Well, yields, there you have it. Two years down, 10 years up, but that spread is still quite significant, isn't it? 4-2 on the two-year, 3-5-2-5 on the 10. We're back after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Two earnings reports, two very different market reactions this morning. Goldman Sachs reports a number well below the consensus estimates. Not so for Morgan Stanley, the stock of which is up over 5%. We're back after this. Let's get to stop trading. Well, you never want to hear your CEO say this is not what we aspire to. This is Goldman Sachs, that it's an outlier. David, some of these costs... uh, Platform for Solutions, uh, pre-tax loss, $778 million. Credit losses of $972 million. 
uh, the Goldman I worked at was like a dry cleaner. You never have anything left. You always return it. And so I think these were very disappointing numbers, but so does Goldman. Uh, Morgan Stanley, on the other hand, uh, just doesn't even want to be compared. The idea that they're trading firms uh, is, I'd say, fancy. Very different complexions, but that's interesting, that quote you got. Yeah, I don't understand those losses. Not what we losses. aspire to. I don't understand those losses. We need more information. All right, well, you're going to have time to do that. I bet on Mad Money later, you're going to have a lot more of the story for us. Right? Absolutely. All right, coming up right here, Palo Alto Network CEO Nikesh Arora. He's going to be live from the World Economic Forum in Davos. Also ahead, actor Dwayne Johnson, otherwise known as The Rock. He'll talk about the energy drink business, Hollywood, the WWE. Yeah, ask him about his tequila. It sells very well. Tequila. Keep it here. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.